Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 146. My games are unapologetically political. Presented by Shoshana Kessak, Neil Price, Suzanne Villadiamo, and Joshua A.C. Newman. So, besides, we're um, So, thank you guys so much for coming. I know everybody's been running from other places, so. Uh, uh, my name is Shoshana Kessak. I'm going to be moderating this panel, and this is the panel of We Are. Uh, we make unapologetically political games, and so we are going to talk about being unapologetically political in our lives and in the game designs we do. Um, before I get started asking questions, why don't you guys introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about the work you do. Uh, Neil, why don't you start? Cool. Uh, my name is Neil Raymond Price. I've been a tabletop game designer for about 10 years, mostly in traditional tabletop. I do the bulk of my work for Onyx Path Publishing and White Wolf before it. Um, right now, I'm developing uh, a game called Scion 2nd Edition. Scion is a game where you play the children of uh, gods and divinity in the modern day. Um, it deals a lot with uh, religion and culture and uh, the interaction of the two in the modern day. Um, hi, uh, my name is Susanne Vedemo and I'm a, a Nordic, Nordic LARP designer. <laughs> I come from Sweden and I just moved here uh, to the US uh, about two months ago. Uh, and I'm really getting to know this scene here. I make uh, uh, design uh, Nordic style LARPs typically parlor LARPs, but also bigger things. I've done things about the genocide and what happens like the generation after the genocide. Uh, I've done things about a big game about suffragettes, uh, where you get to go into an experience 1917 and the uh, women's rights movement there. Uh, and I've uh, had a, a LARP in the feminism, hashtag feminism anthology, which is co- uh, uh, called So Mama Made a Sex Tape, uh, which is about Sex, porn, uh, and uh, feminism, yep. and people arguing about this. <laughs> That's the kind of games I make. Awesome. Uh, I'm Joshua A. C. Newman. I uh, publish a game called Shock Social Science Fiction, uh, which I'm currently developing toward its second edition, uh, which you can see me do live on my Patreon at uh, patreoncom Joshua. Uh, I publish a tabletop war game called uh, Mobile Frame Zero that has an explicitly anti-fascist policy in the last pages of the book. And I'm publishing now a game called The Bloody-Handed Name of Bronze, which, among other things, is about toxic toxic masculinity and the myth of the hero and uh, sort of things tied into that with a leaning heavily on the classics and Conan because they're all assholes. Uh, And to talk a little bit about what I do, I'm one half of the uh, owners of Phoenix Outlaw Productions. We do a lot of LARP design and some tabletop work. Uh, I've also worked for companies like Onyx Path and for uh, most recently John Wick Presents on 7C, where I'm a writer and a developer. Um, And I make a lot of games that have political themes and uh, both in LARP and in uh, tabletop and also alternate histories and I talk a lot about this stuff. So 
Uh, to give you an idea why we picked this panel, obviously uh, we are going to talk about things today that include talking about you know real world politics, real world important you know topics, and how they intersect with game design uh, and what we choose or don't choose to put into our games. Um, so yeah, we, we're going to talk about serious stuff. So if, uh, you know if that's a problem, uh, I can. It's cool. Uh, drift as you need. Um, so let's start off with asking an important question. Um, why do you make games that have political themes? Uh, why is it important to you? And uh, yeah, let's start there. Why is it important to you to include uh, strong political messages in your games? Uh, yeah. Guys, yeah, sure. let's start. Uh, I think you have two options when you make any piece of art, a uh, game, a painting, a film, which is that you can either choose to be unapologetically political or it can be apologetically political. And uh, the apology itself at that point winds up becoming your art, and apologies are really bad art. Um, uh, that's never going to be as compelling as what you can say forcefully. Uh, and uh, that means that when uh, you want to do a, when you want to play a science fiction game, if you're saying, I just want to disconnect, I just want to like have a cool laser gun and go fight Ming the Merciless. And you're not saying, well, all right, so Ming the Merciless is this particular cultural stereotype. Like, you're saying, I want to go shoot Chinese people because they're going to steal our women. That's what I hear when I say I just want to play Escapist and go play Flash Gordon. So either you can look it in the eye or you can let it stare you down. So that's, that's the way I choose it. Uh, I agree. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> like art, uh, the, the, everything is political. First of all, either you make it political or someone else makes it political. So you better do it first, because <laughs> that is doing art. The other thing would be, you know, experiencing art. Uh, and uh, uh, the stories when we when we when we create art, when we create experiential uh, things, um, we want to. Uh, uh, touch people somehow. We want to. We want to to give them an experience. That's at least what I, of some sort. And uh, just sandboxing, saying, "Oh, here is something you can generally." I, I don't know. I, I I want to give them a directed experience. You know. Um, I think that directed experience is, is what makes LARP art as opposed to entertainment. Neil. Yeah, I I agree with both of those uh, both of those things. Um, I I like my games to have high concepts. I like you to to, to engage you. Um, there's a lot of this. There's been a lot of discussion in, in the sort of circles I run in recently about sort of the, the the popcorn level of play at the table and the the high concept level of play. And uh, the high concept is what engages you on the themes on the overall weightiness on the subject matter, and the popcorn is the rolling the dice at the table, the kind of give and take, the reward mechanisms you use in play. Um, and certain games are very good for popcorn, and certain games are very good for high concept. But um, I like my games to be able to be able to do both, and I like my games to have a, a, a very deep and very engaging high concept level that you can really play into. And as uh, my, my co-panelists have said, um, everything is political. Um, and whether you make it or someone else makes it that way. Um, I mean, uh, just a couple years ago, um, shooting Nazis in video games was not at all political. And suddenly it's, well, why do you guys have to make your game political? Wolfenstein's been doing it for 20, 30 years. Um, and suddenly now it's political. Um, so, you know, you should, you should engage it 
on that level because if you don't, someone else is going to. And you should be very cognizant of the statements you are making when dealing with matters of weighty import. So that actually brings up a really important question. So yeah, there is this big back and forth between a lot of people, I think, in the games world right now about, well, games shouldn't be political, right? We're here for fun, we're here for escapism, we're here to you know, bonk some uh, orcs on the head and get some gold. Uh, what, do you, what do you say to that, like, if a person says that to you? Like, what is your response specifically? Um, my response would be, you know, are, are you familiar with all of the all the racial stereotypes going behind, going into orcs, like playing into playing into back in the Tolkien, playing into the first uh, the first edition of D and D, going to drow cosplay, um, and you know what? Um, they're not perfect one to one allegories, and you can separate them. But you should be very cognizant of the history that goes into those things, and whether you've decided to make them political, other people interpret them that way, and they cause certain reactions in folks on on a certain level and if you're going to make art that engages people on those levels you need to be cognizant of what you're doing and what you're saying um and you should choose your words carefully any writer has to and except when you didn't do it better next time yeah so i have a theory there as well so when people say i don't want this game to be political they typically not always, but they often belong to a group of people who, whose um, uh, reality is all already, the things they care about is, has already been taken, or is already seen as, as taken care of uh, by, the, by, by society, right? Yeah, it's the status quo. Yeah, so it's like, oh, in, in a, a game, oh, it's not political to go and, and, and fight against the evil overlord because these people can imagine themselves in a situation where they would fight against an evil overlord. Everyone here would agree against that. But if you have, oh, we want to make a, LARP, uh, you know, a game where you have to fight against uh, some, something else, like in, uh, a sexual harasser, they would say, that is not something that exists in my world, therefore it is political. So it's it's what you consider political uh, is typical. You know what is it? Is it if it's already if, it, if society is already concerned about your problems, then your problems are seen as apolitical. Right? I will point out that one of the worst sexual harassers in fiction is Ming the Merciless, and somehow nobody's put that together. That that's that that's to some extent like that's how he's villainized is that he keeps leering at, at the pretty white girls. Like that's the um, that's that's what makes him evil, and somehow we're not supposed to empathize with the pretty white girls, but we're supposed to go leap to their leap to their defense because who the because of who the creators assumed we are and would identify with. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, considering how many of these topics are coming up in, poli- in in games today, and we are creating you know political games, um, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to throw some hot ones at you. I guess. Uh, what is the thing that you wouldn't touch politically in your work? Is there any topic that you would not go near uh, politically at all? And this is too much for, you know, for you to ta- ta- take a second because it looks like you're thinking about it. Uh, what do you think? I think there are good arguments for the existence of the Second Amendment or something like it in a civilization, and I can't think of a really good one. Okay. But I'm sure there are some, uh, and so I'm not, I'm not qualified to do that in a meaningful way. Okay. I have a very concrete 
thing. So when I when I got off the boat or the flight here to the US, I was like, oh, I wanna I wanna play with all you guys. I wanted to make a LARP. I wanna I wanna take this the suffragette LARP that I did in Sweden, uh, which is about so women's right to vote movement, 1917. We go in and we have all the different you know the. Uh, the, the, the Christians and the, and the anarchists and they all have one thing in, ca- in common they all fight for women's rights but they all hate each other otherwise how do we get this thing to work and I was like I'm just going to transplant it to the US this is going to go great so I'm just going to you know we US 1917 women's rights movement this is a really good idea for a LARP I'm just going to rewrite the characters and then I'm just going to a brick wall uh, because I am not familiar with racial politics in this country uh, and it became very clear to me very quickly that, oh wow, there are so many things that I, uh, who's, I'm familiar with, you know, systems of oppression in Sweden, uh, but my, I don't have enough knowledge simply about racial uh, history uh, and, uh, and 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 how, how to handle that. So for me, that's that's something right now that I am backing away from and realizing I need much much more knowledge because you can't make. I'm going to say this, I don't know if my co-panelists agree, uh, at least for me as a European, uh, it's very difficult to make a historical political game in the US uh, right now uh, because uh, it is uh, the, the, the situation, the horrible, horrible history of, of racial oppression in this country uh, makes it really difficult it's really difficult uh, to, to handle and tell, tell stories about. It becomes very easy for it to become very disrespectful. Yeah, there's the example of the announcement by the uh, Game of Thrones uh, creators that they were going to do, the next TV show was going to be called Confederacy, and it was going to be about what if the Confederates had won instead of lost, and everybody, uh, for good reason, had a lot of concerns yeah. about that in mm-hmm especially in the modern context of oppression and how it's still going yeah. forward. So it's a good example, I think. Honestly. They're going forward with it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and <laughs> and, I, go well. and um, I just want to say, I still want to make this LARP, but uh, you asked what I, you wouldn't touch. I don't have the knowledge to touch it. Sure. I think you should be make historical, serious, political games about U.S. history, but you have to have enough uh, uh, knowledge to sure. handle it. There are actually, there, there are let's say analogous, the neighboring issues in European history, uh, in in modern history, like, all right, so I I would be utterly incompetent to make a game about Turks in Sweden, which, like, like, I know there's something going on there, I know it's interesting, I know it's often tragic, and that's about as much as I know. Even though I'm interested, I might be inclined to make something about it, I'm not competent to. <laughs> For me, it was uh, uh, I did a game called Service, which was about military service and losing, you know, your life basically when you're taken in during World War uh, World War Three. Somebody wanted me to go on and do one about internment based on Japanese internment in World War Two, and I just kind of put my hands up and walked backwards and was like. I don't have the knowledge for that, nor am I from that group enough to understand the, the complications. Even though during World War II, my family has background in the Holocaust, these are not the same things, and I don't have that knowledge. Even if I did research, I don't feel that I would be the one to make that, that conversation happen. So. But Neil, what, what, what do you think? <laughs> Let's see what you got. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch the Confederacy. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I my, my family. I, I've researched my family genealogy pretty well. And actually, we have some fairly famous figures uh, who fought in the Civil War on both sides of my family, but they all fought for the Confederacy. And uh, you know, from a modern viewpoint, I don't 
I don't like a damn thing the Confederates stood for. Um, and I, every time I see it represented in role-playing games or any kind of games, it's, it's, it's this bizarre sort of down-the-line split. It's like, well, there were heroes in the Confederacy. It's like, no, no, they were, no, no. So I wouldn't be able to treat the matter with any kind of... I, I'm pretty sure that my, my take on, the, uh, on that viewpoint is the right one, but I wouldn't be able to give it the kind of nuance that someone who doesn't have a personal stake in it would be able to, to bring to the table, which is, I think, uh, sometimes, sometimes it strikes me as a weird thing to say, and I don't know if, if either of you would agree, um, because I, I've seen people who have a very passionate viewpoint on something um, uh, sometimes want to communicate that viewpoint so strongly they miss the nuance that makes it a political and makes it a, a controversial topic. They don't address the controversy properly in my viewpoint because they have such a personal and vital stake in it. So it's a weird paradox to me because sometimes I see people um, able to, you know, you know they, 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 they have this vital role in it and they want to communicate it and they have such a strong and personal voice in it and they should absolutely express that voice but at the same time they, they drown out some of the other voices in there. Um, I wouldn't touch the, the, the situation in Palestine in a game ever. Because I have I have a lot of Jewish friends, I have a lot of Palestinian friends, and God, I you know you know I, I've I've seen I've seen two people in a room who have two different viewpoints in that situation who are reasonable, you know, uh, very intelligent people just immediately start screaming at one another. And see, I was hired to do that twice. Actually. Yeah. So I did I did it. Uh, my background is I'm I'm Jewish. I have family in Israel who are. Uh, you know, we're serving in the military right now as active, you know, military participants. And uh, so I did, uh, for Headspace, I did a, a thing called uh, Year Zero in the Promised Land, which is set in the future uh, of what happens in Israel uh, and with the Palestinian conflict uh, when they have to face the UN as the bad guys together for water rights. Um, so that's that's part of that. And I did for 7C, I, I did for the Crescent Empire, I designed Sarmian, which is sort of the analogy to that part of the world. And it's in, incredibly difficult. It's, you know, you have to figure out how to be even-handed to a, a very complex issue. Yeah, if you want to, I mean, if you want a, 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 a slightly different example, the um, situation in Burma with the, the Rohingya massacres, um, what's going on there is, is terrible, basically. The, the, the majority Buddhist population is driving out and massacring the, uh, the, the Muslim population, just sort of pushing them out of their land. Um, but, you know, there are, the, 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 the majority Buddhist population there has suffered a lot of essentially very angry attacks from the Muslim population there, and it doesn't justify what's going on, but there are weird voices on different sides of the equation that are not necessarily diametrically opposed, but... Can I? Okay, so uh, okay, so I'm gonna push the controversy here a little bit. Uh, okay. I, I agree with all you, you said, yeah. uh, but uh, but now I'm going to ask another question. Yeah. Uh, uh, do your games always have to address all sides of a political issue? I don't think that they do. I don't. I I think um, our games, unless you're making the game, unless you're making a big blockbuster, this is this is the game on this topic to end all games. I think um, a lot of times you should choose a viewpoint that you want to express and sort of stick with it. Uh, Dog Eat Dog uh, was, was a, a little game a couple of years ago, I think like 2012 or so, that was very much about colonialism in, um, in the, the, the Pacific. 
and it, uh, you know, colonialism super bad, and that the game is very much like that. So one side plays uh, the the oppressed, and one side plays the oppressors, and the oppressors have a lot of system advantages if they just oppress the other people. So um, it's more meant to impart a lesson than be uh, an even-handed game, but I think that's totally okay. So. I, I think you go into any piece of art with a thesis, and if your thesis is unclear, it'll make it weak. Yeah. And if you say, okay, this particular viewpoint that I want to fully explore requires a certain amount of nuance in other sides, but what I want to say is this is what it feels like to be in this particular moral situation. Um, if I want to make a game about uh, being a refugee, I don't care that much about the internal politics of the country that I'm trying to flee to. Um, and it can be abstract, it's like draw a card, they make it, made it par Parliament made a decision, this is the decision. Um, I don't need to add the nuance necessarily to that. It shouldn't be stupid, it shouldn't feel like no, nothing makes sense or anything. But a lot of the experience of being a refugee is that you're subject to the whims of forces that don't actually have your well-being at heart. And you don't need to represent the entire thing. You need to represent your thesis so that you can actually say something about it. Yeah. I think what Neil said about like having the end-all, be-all game actually is um, like thinking about it in like the broadest terms, right? When you're trying to encompass these huge issues, sometimes you actually miss the trees for the forest. Like you're seeing, and I say it specifically that way because you're so busy trying to encompass the galactic version of the entire thing that uh, expressing the actual political view that you might want to put forward or the importance of the complexity gets lost. And so drilling down and actually just taking one side of it or even one aspect of it um, is, is important. Like service was written specifically because I had friends who came back from the military uh, and they had lost their homes, their jobs, their whole lives had moved on without them. And so it wasn't about the war in Iraq or Afghanistan, it was about that experience of like losing your freedom in your life and having people experience that. And the game did then reflect on all these other things about war and about you know being uh, you know furloughed over into the military for longer. Um, but it, if I had tried to encompass an entire thing about war, in, in a, what, a two hour lark, that wasn't gonna happen. So distilling down oftentimes I think makes these political issues much clearer and gives people more to think about when they you know, go home and start looking into these things. Um, so that's a really good question. Thank you for writing it. Um, okay, stepping over, I just wanna make sure we have enough time for, yeah, we have totally tons of time. Because uh, I wanna give it to questions for you guys at the end. I wanna toss you guys a, a sort of now question, right? So. The political situation right now in, in the U.S., but in the world itself, is incredibly fraught. Um, no matter what, you know, you're talking about Brexit or you're talking about Burma, or you're talking about the U.S. right now. Um, how do you feel that your games, being political, work into the like the the public like discourse? Like, is it important? How important do you feel it is to like continue doing political games now? And how are you contributing to that? I'm kicking Nazis off my forum. Okay. <laughs> I'm kicking Nazis off my forum. I literally had to do this. It was a, I was really looking forward to sitting down with my wife, eating peanut butter cups, and watching Steven Universe, I think. And instead, this fucking Nazi ruined my evening with my wife. 
and I was really mad at that guy. Um, and he's gone from Facebook now, which I'm really happy to see. Um, but I mean, what am I, I gonna not do that kind of thing because I make games? Like it, I feel like right now, if there's a time for me to have my hands on uh, on the shit, like like now is the time to do that. It's it's put up or shut up time. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I've read this interesting question on, I think it was a LARPist BFF, it's a, it's a Facebook forum for, for a lot of LARP designers Where hang out all the time. Yes. <laughs> Where we fight uh, all the time. Uh, but someone said, hey, so the political situation uh, in the Western world, where we are, most of us are from, uh, it right now is, is very fraught. Why aren't we changing the world with LARPs? You know, why aren't we making games to, to you know, what, what can we, how can we use games, LARPs, anything to, 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 to change the world actively? And everything since that thread, I've been thinking about that. How, what can you do, you know, what can you do? So, uh, and I know other people are doing that too. So how can we actively design games that teach activism, right? How can we do, uh, how can we design games that teach people uh, fact-checking? Uh, that sort of thing. Those are political. Fortunately, teaching someone fact checking is now a political move, yeah. uh, and we should we should be and we are and we should be making LARPs. Uh, there are three of them here this weekend. Yes. There are literally three of them here this weekend, which are about Model UN. Another one's about being an activist, and the other one is about uh, seeking out truth when somebody is uh, taken in as a political prisoner. So, like, there's literally like three games immediately in Metatopia, which I think is fantastic. Right. Um, Neil, what do you think? <laughs> um, I don't know. To kind of go back to the Wolfenstein comments earlier, which has been commented on by many, many people, um, what wasn't a political sentiment um, 30 years ago, now that you're saying something, suddenly is a political sentiment. Um, <clears throat> just a couple of years ago, in, in the publishing side of things, we had the whole sad puppies debacle where people are like, I just, what, why is, why are there all these politics in my science fiction? Why is there all of this, you know, this, this queer nonsense and this people of color nonsense uh, going on in my business? Why can't we just get to go, you know, rip roaring rockets and stuff? And I was like, where the hell did you come from? Because James Tiptree Jr. was doing stuff back, you know, way back when. Like there have been... Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. There, there... Like, 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 this has always been a political thing. Like, the thing you thought of never existed. So, people romanticize the past in that way, and people uh, romanticize their politics. And I think it's, it's kind of what, what you guys were saying earlier, that their status quo is suddenly disrupted, and they see it as a sudden, a sudden and new event, and it never actually has been. Um, being making people realize just how old this world is and how old the thoughts are and how um, interconnected it all is. Uh, There's something that goes beyond borders and something that goes beyond nationalist sentiment, which is a lot newer than some of the opinions that we've had. Is that kind of thing is important for me to keep stressing. Um, because it's, you know, I don't want to say stay the course, but, but definitely be louder in what you're saying. Yeah. So what happened when I kicked this Nazi off is a bunch of players came out of the woodwork to say to the mods who I was talking to mostly behind the scenes, um, to, they came out and said, thank you because I didn't know, I was worried that I was going to have to leave this community. They weren't speaking up while this guy was showing up with his Nazi memes because they were afraid he was going to come kill them. So we kicked the guy out, and all of a sudden, all these people, I've never seen them post before. They're just lurkers and these things. Like, they look at people's cool Lego robots, you know. They, um, 
and all of a sudden they come out and like the, the, our first objective when the community started to form was there's one person who was saying like I kind of want my kids to come play this but you guys swear a lot and I was like all right I don't know if I cannot say fuck all the time but I can say I can work really hard to not say fuck so much if nobody ever calls anybody a faggot and uh, and like anything like that entire line of thought is not welcome here because the ha having the the brown queers in my community is so much more important than making it safe in war games for straight white dudes. Yeah. Like, I, I think they're going to be okay without me. Uh, and I, they're, I mean, the Nazi I kicked out actually made really cool robots. It was too bad. He was such an asshole. But, um, and I discovered that he joined this community when he was 12 years old. He's over the course of the last several years decided that he's going to be a Nazi as a kid. Like, I feel like that's a little bit of a failure of our community. But for all the other people who are saying, thank you, I was worried I was going to have to leave, I'd rather, much rather have those kids. Yeah. Right. So as creators uh, of things, you know, there's always the question of death of the author, right, in, in fiction. And in games especially, because, you know, you're taking this game that you created, you put it out in the world, and people are playing it and making it their own. Um, as, a, as a political creator, how much do you feel that, like, your intent needs to be a part of that and like or you specifically have to be out there being political yourselves as opposed to just your games because there's a lot of discussion about like how much do, do we have to be visible as creators ourselves how does that feel for you guys and has that been difficult um yeah i mean i, I can't control what people do with with my game at their table um so in, in scion the gods have existed for for thousands and thousands of years you know they're created they come there and um uh, that that the, the the relationship of the Nazi regime to to pick off off that to religion is a weird and fraught one because they have some Christian elements, but they also very subtly um, espoused a lot of Teutonic imagery and a lot of uh, 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 you know like Nordic Nordic polytheism imagery. Um, so you know, in prior editions of the game, there's been the idea that some of the gods were like somewhat okay with Nazism, and you know. Now that like I'm in, now that I'm looking at in charge, and you know maybe a couple years ago I would have been okay, but in this climate, uh, you know I'm not going to make it easy for you to take my game and and play you know your weird Nazi fantasy. No, um, I can't stop you from doing it, um, but I'm sure as hell not going to not going to put you can any kind of work for them. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to do the work for them. Uh, yeah. I had a great conversation at Gen Con about the Get of Fenris, for example, which are werewolf yes. tribe. That's and another, yeah. Yeah, super white, almost supremacist werewolves that are very Teutonic and, and are, uh, and I had a conversation about it being like, so in this political climate, how do we feel about these guys still being some of the new, the, like the good guys standing up next to like super feminist black furies, right? And like, how do you feel about that? And it was, it was one of the most like politically comfortable conversations I've had where most people said, this ain't gonna be a thing, like that we're gonna play at our table anymore. These guys are not cool mm -hmm. uh, for us anymore. So. That's been a really interesting thing that a lot of people are coming up around, I think, right now. What do you guys think? Uh, what's your feeling as a creator? It, uh, I think that when people play my games, they get the, uh, they, they, they get the idea that I am a, a sometimes very angry, vocal uh, feminist, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. They, they really, I'm, I'm <laughs> it mirrors. I have no problem with them, uh, you know, associating me with with the ideals in in the in the LARPs that I make. Sure. Uh, there's this periodic 
accusation, like, why don't you shut up and go back to making games or writing your science fiction? Oh my god, do I just want to sit down and write my science fiction and draw alien dicks? Like, that, that's my business model requires me to do that all the time. And now I have to go deal with this asshole on Facebook instead. Yeah, I would love to do that. But my existence turns out to be a political... Con I'm Jewish too. So my, my existence turns out to be a political controversy. I don't get to choose if I exist or not. I don't get to choose what my parentage is. I don't get to choose what my moral universe is. That was given to me before I could make decisions about it. I think some of it's all right. Some of it's flawed. Whatever. I have a pretty nuanced view of that. But the, uh, the fact that I have that stuff means that when I say please don't advocate murdering me. Somehow that is the political move as opposed to saying, well, we're not that kind of fascist, which is literally this guy's, I, I was like, I don't care. Like if you show up, you're not going to survive our encounter because otherwise I'm not going to survive our encounter. Like that, that's the way that you put it. Fucking Nazi. <laughs> Do you guys know about the, the, the paradox of intolerance? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yep. Do you guys, everybody, are you familiar? Everybody here familiar with it? So the, do you want Neil? Yeah. Um, there was a little comic meme going about it on Facebook, and it's, and it's from um, a philosopher named Karl Popper, who wrote a book called I Believe the Downfall of Democratic Societies. Um, the, the essential gist of it is this, is that um, total tolerance in a society will eventually lead to intolerance. And why that is, is because there are, um, ad, there, when, when you tolerate all types of speech in a society, there will be people espousing speech that is necessarily in conflict. For example, you know, I don't... You know, I, I want to kill Jewish people, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's obviously will drown out other parts of speech. And the people espousing that speech do not care for uh, the principle of free speech at all. They simply want to rhetorically uh, dominate with their viewpoint and their, their matter. And they will essentially um, use any, view, any tactic that they can to rise to power, at which point they will snuff, down, snuff out all other types of speech. So by allowing people to espouse this kind of uh, fundamentally intolerant speech within a tolerant society, you give them more power and you give them more of a voice and you give them more of an ability to eventually drown out other types of tolerant speech. Or commit harm. Or commit harm, yeah, or, or, or that sort of thing. So if, if you intend to have a, any sort of democratic organism, it needs to include in its immune system a, an ability to combat this exploit of in the like so free speech is something that we've invented as as a species some of our cultures have invented this idea of free speech it's not a natural law it's something that we really want to be true it's not it's not like I, there's 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 no meaning to the phrase faster than the speed of light there the any but any meaning we have to something like free speech is what we build it to be. So we can either say, this is a value we have and we will defend it, including against this exploit that is now a known exploit, or we will lose it, period. This is actually, Popper actually proved this, if I recall. Mm -hmm. I believe there's a logical proof to this that unfettered free speech results in the end of a system of free speech. So if you care about that, you say, all right, so we, we have a bug uh, in this invention of free speech, and all right, we need a patch. Which and the, the I mean the it's not like there are the patches are unknown. There are best practices, and if you go back to the code on free speech, one of them that turns out to be is that you abolish hate speech. Does it work completely? No, it's a patch. Like we're running around trying to trying to keep this whole thing from falling apart for as long as possible. Yeah, and that's one of the ways that we do it. You have stuff like precedent from the, the Supreme Court in America, basically saying you know it doesn't give you the right to yell fire in a crowded moving house. 
Oh yeah, that's because not all words are words. You're looking at the difference between actually saying something and the words being conduct. That's why we have Bible law. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. The real magic, real legal fixes in describing what is and is not conduct. And that's the <laughs> yep. that, and that's really where the discussions of what hate speech means and how what's what's prosecutable starts turning into. But within our own communities, just to jump off something you said before, is that you know th there's the old idea of the personal is political and vice versa, right? And I think that in the evolution in our communities of creators as brands in their own way, right? Like the games that you make are known to be your specific games, like in a lot of ways, and especially on social media where you become more of a presence to, to work and to get your games known, um, the personal really does become political because uh, for example, when I go online, people know that I'm a, a queer, fat, Jewish, disabled woman, right? Like that's part of my identity and that's always going to be a part of my identity unless you decide not to be public about these things. But it's kind of obvious when you see me running around in a wheelchair and like, you know, being who I am and talking about being Jewish, these things are going to bring certain political associations to my work and to my role within the community. So if somebody comes in who is a Nazi, immediately I raise my hand going, yo, because that person then is endangering me by their very presence because their ideology systematically says that I should not exist. And so therefore, my presence alone in the community creates a political statement, like you said. Um, and then at that point, where they come into conflict becomes a community management issue, uh, where we are parts of the community as creators, our projects are part of the community as what facilitates the creation of communities around games, how do we then, you know, intersect these things while making it safe for us to create? And therefore it creates politics immediately, right? Just being there. Um, I want to give enough time for questions before we go. So one lightning round last controversial question. Um, is there, how do I say this properly? Is there a topic that you wish you would see more of or that you think is done badly? that needs to be improved. You don't need to call out people, I don't want to do that, but specific topics that need to be handled in a better way, uh, especially right now in the political climate. I think in games, American race politics are handled uniformly as though there are no black people designing games. And uh, the result is on the one hand, people just straight up saying horrible shit, uh, often to just sort of be edgy and be the one sticking sticking it to the power of, of an underclass, uh, or sort of um, uh, polite, under-researched, well-meaning idiocy. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I think we can solve that by making sure that our black comrades have a voice. I, I know a lot of black game designers, actually, who don't they don't keep making games because they don't feel like anybody wants to hear what they have to say about it. Some of it's ugly shit. Some of it's ugly shit about stuff that we've done. I mean, so, all right. So we want to make good stuff. That's the cost of making good stuff is figuring out what you, the bad stuff that you can scratch off. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, don't have to name names. I'm just saying, just, what do you think? Uh, I think many things. Uh, <laughs> but... But one thing I would like to see more of uh, is uh, I want to see uh, political games being made with the express purpose of changing people's minds. Okay. And I would like to see the community to bring them, uh, do an active thing to bring them out to schools. Uh, you know, I want to have a, an, how, how to stop people from being a Nazi 
game. I want to use the game. I want to know how to make stuff yeah, exactly. yeah. Nazis. Fascism is bad. When you figure okay. it out, you tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, we have theories, right? Can yeah. we make those into games? Can, yeah. we, can we use this? I, want, I would like the community to, to be more less to be more proactive about using the resources we have to actively push uh, the good political agenda. Cool. Neil? <laughs> Told you I was going to hit you with hard ones. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going uh, I'm to go back to, to, to my roots and my game and uh, religion. I think um, religious belief and, 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 and spiritual belief uh, the world over is incredibly diverse. I think that, that there are a lot of those topics that are diametrically opposed to one another. I think there's a lot of uh, religious belief is such a huge core component of so many people um, the, the entire world over, yet it's not here in America and not quite. And sometimes, I, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of atheist game designers, probably more than, you know, more than, than, than is representative of perhaps the American population. But game design is a game... Gamers are a weird lot, demographically speaking. Anyway, um, so uh, I, I, you know, I'm religious myself, and I like to to talk about that and see that well represented in my games. And I, you know, I I can't tell you how many times I've I've seen something about about Jewish folk or something about Catholics that are that is just totally wrong. So if you see Jews at all, which is my own. If you, yeah, if you if see him, if you see him at all, um, other than other than you know New York rabbis like wanting around getting bagels, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seinfeld so. role playing there. Yeah, okay. uh, the one I'm going to add is uh, disability representation. Uh, uh, transhumanism is one where I tend to have little fights with people about uh, because if anything that cures disabilities to make it magical cures in any game, which basically wipes out the identity of people who are disabled. Uh, yeah. You know, oh, we can fix it, so automatically that makes it better. But disabled people don't necessarily need to be fixed. We don't need to, you know. So having that representation is very important in both LARPs and, and tabletops, and that's a whole other panel which I was on uh, yesterday. That's my category of well-meaning bullshit. Yeah, there's I'll, a lot of that. I'll yeah. be, so I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll put myself up on the chopping block here and and, and relate a story from Scion. So um, in Scion, we were talking about um, uh, one of our signature characters is 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 trans. And, um, you know, we were, we were talking about how, you know, her, her process of transition. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's a pretty common thing in mythology for a god to just basically snap their fingers and every secondary sexual characteristic of the person just completely, and primary too, just completely changes, just flips. And every trans person on my writing team just sort of like stared at me and vibrated slightly. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm going <laughs> to shut up now. <laughs> I had a very similar discussion about the LARP, uh, yeah. uh, designing a LARP character just like four days ago yeah. when I was like, hey, I have this cool idea about the character in Greek mythology. And ah, okay, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, th but I think this comes back to something we said earlier. So when you asked, do, is there something that you won't touch? We all said, said, I won't touch this because I don't know enough about it. I think no one of us said this is a topic no one should touch. We don't think yeah. anyone of us said that. Uh, but but instead, you know, some topics you figure out. Oh wow, I did not know enough about this. I cannot right now make this this game, and then. Then you should be not you should you should be political and unapologetic, but you should all step back <laughs> and to know uh, what to do research and bring and to do yes in. Yeah. yes. I made an accidental mistake once, which was I was writing a LARP about 
uh, gender representation in an Amazon tribe, and I was going to abstract it so that people of any gender could play any gender in that game. And uh, I was like, how are we going to do that? We have to use masks, basically, of different colors to represent uh, the different people in power and not in power. And in the meeting, I started saying, yeah, so the people in power are going to wear white masks, and the people not in power are going to wear black. Let me start over before I finish the sentence. <laughs> and my friend across the room, Justin, just went, ah, just looking in the back, and he's like, and you know, he, he's African-American, just raised his hand, and he's like, you just want to start over there. And I was like, purple is great. <laughs> We're moving on to purple. So, like, and I think that, like, as well-meaning as you can be, you're always going to, like, stumble and fall on something, you know. Uh, I was writing a, a trans character for, uh, for one of the books for 7C, and I, had to, I, I handed it to a friend of mine to read, and they were like, take it back and try again. Like, just yeah. from the beginning, just here's all the places where you made the mistakes, down to like the pronoun use. And I was like, okay, let's just rewrite this whole thing by tomorrow, we can do that. Um, so it's important to be able to say you're wrong. I think that, and to recognize that, uh, especially even if you get like massive feedback, right? Like that's hard, but like uh, to accept that sort of thing. Just go into any creative endeavor, assuming that everything you're make, doing is a mistake, period, until you're done and you're willing to live with the degree of compromise you have to make. You'll put it out, and people will point to things, you know, oh, fuck, all right. And then you do another one. That is the creative process. And, yep. and I think it's important, so being unapologetically uh, political, sometimes maybe you do have to be, you have to decide, are you, in each case, are you going to be unapologetically or politically? Well, but the, apo the apology is, no. I'm sorry I hurt you, yes. not I'm sorry I said something. No, yeah. no. <laughs> no, but what I mean is that sometimes uh, some people will come to you and say, in your game, you said that Nazism is wrong, you should, that is bad. And, and, and we would go, no, no, I'm gonna stand for this. I made this choice, I'm gonna stand for it. Sometimes they'll say, uh, you chose this design thing instead of this design thing, and I think that was wrong. And you have to say, instead of, you, you say, I understand where you're coming from, but I took the, made this decision and I'm, I'm not gonna stand for it. Uh, and sometimes people are gonna say, you did this and this was wrong, and you go, Damn it! You are right. You are right. Uh, I will do better, and I apologize. And the difference between realizing that your probabilities are wrong, and uh, the game gets frustrating and grinds to a halt after round three or whatever the thing is, and your probabilities are wrong, and that means that uh, you, the rules wind up advocating for the extermination of a people is pretty significant, and. I, some, I actually I, I wrote rules. I wrote a what's that? Those are some bad rules. There was well, so check this out. In the bloody handed name of bronze, there was a rule that is supposed to cover both uh, moments like Paris and Paris uh, Paris and Helen, uh, who are kids who are really making bad sociosexual decisions, but they're super hot, so that makes it okay. And then we have the Trojan War, right? Everybody's family gets all torqued up. It's like Roman and Julia and all that shit. Lots of people die. Um, super interesting, really common theme in the classics, people putting it in places where they oughtn't. Um, and then we have Gilgamesh and Enkidu, who are uh, a king and a wild man. We have this force of civilization, and you know they clash like Thor and the Hulk, and then they become best buddies. So I had this rule where you could, where you could do that, um, where it's one rule, basically you follow your passions for this other person. and. So I was like, all right, one, two, three is Paris and Helen, and Helen, two, three, four is Gilgamesh and Enkidu. And it turns out, if I recall, is one, three, and four is raping somebody. 
And <laughs> that was not how the rule was supposed to work at all. And it was pointed out, I mean, I've never seen, any, I'd never seen anybody actually try to use it that way. And it was, because it wasn't the intent, it didn't really lead you that way. But somebody pointed it out to me in a critique session, and I was like, I have to go think about that because since I'm taking these classical elements, if you're drawing from the classics and you're not thinking about what you're doing, you wind up with a lot of rape. That's the, the classics. That's one of the primary themes of that, that body of literature is there's a lot of rape. Yeah. I do not want that to be a feature of this game. Yeah. Neil so, wrote on that stuff too. So I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a lot about that. Um, it's funny you bring up Enkidu. Enkidu was uh, civilized by a professional, civilized, yeah. uh, by a professional sex worker. Um, <laughs> yes, that, was, that was her job. Uh, uh, and uh, there is a, a lot of non-consexual sexual encounters in especially Greek mythology, but in a lot of other stuff. Just to uh, kind of uh, go about it, um, a central tenet of, of um, Algonquian uh, mythology, of, their, of how their gods were made, um, is actually because of the continual rape of the, f the first woman by this sort of male personified force of nature. And this sort of story behind it is uh, her sons of this of this repeated rape uh, eventually band together to take revenge on their father for, for hurting their mother? Um, there's there's no way to get around that in in the mythology. There's no way to paper it over. Um, their story is one of retribution and justice, essentially, that still depends on the victimization of this one person. Um, and it's you know I, it, it was a tough nut to crack. Yeah. And it was, and, and and we just sort of ended up just taking it at face value and being like, look, you know, this this is a big theme, and this is a theme of justice, but it, it also is one where someone gets hurt. And that's a political choice. Yeah. And, and I, my my solution was to change the power dynamic when you use those rules. The yeah. the 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 results being either Paris and Helen or uh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu uh, wound up relying on consent. There's yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things in Scion too that we we kind of ended up papering over, um, especially in Greek mythology, uh, like the 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 myth of Canaeus, um, where um, uh, uh, the myth of Canaeus is that um, she she was a she, uh, and then she she was raped by Poseidon and said, well, I never want to be in a position where I'm raped again. So Poseidon says, okay, I'll make you a man, um, and then he was a he after that. Uh, which, which that whole, that whole thing is just people look at it now and are like, no, 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 no. Uh, so, you know, addressing that, it, we have to address it in a very different way. Going so we're going to go to questions, actually, because yes. I want to give, uh, we've got about 10 minutes, so I want to ask some folks and then do a wrap up where you guys get to plug some stuff. So, uh, where do you start on this side? Yes. Uh, so how do you find the correct balance between games that are politically uncomfortable to show people uh, problems to try to find solutions and educate versus games that are political to offer um, uh, comfort and solace and hope in a time when the world is on fire and a nightmare hellscape. How, how do you find the balance between, yes, between, between this? intentionally uncomfortable games for political reasons and intentionally comfortable we, we are fully capable of writing utopian games. In fact, we have been charged by Ursula Le Guin herself to write some goddamn utopias, so <laughs> we can... We have, it's, the way she put it is, we have an easier time imagining the end of the world than imagining the end of capitalism, and that has to change. So that's what we have to do. We have to, we have to make stuff where, there's, where we have hope. 
in in LARPs, you can of course find the one within the other. There's you find the comfort within the tragedy, uh, and that's how I would write it. Yeah, uh, world's always been a shitty hellscape, um, and things get better, things get worse. Um, I think I think it's all about the tone and who you're actually portraying it towards. Um, not every game needs to do both, um, but I think I, I think that just just being upfront about what your intentions are is important. That's what I was going to add. Transparency of design is really important, I think, when it comes to if you're going to be uh, creating a, a desperate hellscape or if you're going to create something where you can have fluffy bunnies in a desperate hellscape, <laughs> it's important to make sure that the players know that before they're coming in so that they don't walk out crying because they wanted bunnies. Um, that's, it's important <laughs> now when people need those things to make this abundantly clear. I think. Uh, oh, now I want tragic bunnies. Um, yeah, go on. Yeah. Um, so, obviously all games are political, um, not every game is explicitly political, so um, I guess the short version of my question is, um, how do I encourage positive politics in my apolitical game? Oh, that's a big one. That you are writing, or? Yeah. Yes. Politics are about systems of power, right? Institutions of power. Make it so that the institutions of power, maybe even when nobody's making a decision about it, when you're rolling for the weather or whatever, uh, how, however that stuff works, just the physics of the universe put yourself in a put you in a position where you have to make whatever the choices are that matter about you, that matter to you, even if everybody's a dragon baby or whatever the thing is, like like just. Keep control of your metaphors. Yeah, look at the sentiment that your that the results of play at the table is communicating to the players. Um, it, it is is this oppressed society being oppressed um, because of the external forces that are being forced upon them? Um, if like if the orcs are are slaughtered because they're always lawful evil, um, that's that's kind of an issue. That's I mean. If that's if that's not the sentiment that you want actually want to portray, that's an issue because it says this marginalized people's bad stuff happening to them is their fault. Would, so like, I would say that uh, for me, politics is uh, politics is an act action. It's something you do. Uh, you can have opinions, but that's a different thing. So if you want to put, put politics in a game, I would say force uh, choices into characters. You know. Give four so-called characters to make uh, some sort of uh, an ethical or political choice, and it can be a metaphorical choice. It doesn't have to be about the, what you really want to aim for. Uh, if you really want your politics games to say, "Oh, capitalism is great," that's your message. Uh, uh, maybe you put that in the metaphor, but you make every single character have to during the game take a position, because that will force the the, the 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 player to actively engage with this, and that's politics. Um, the last thing I'll add is that uh, if you want your game to, you know, look apolitical, but also have some sort of message, uh, things like representing artwork and, and stuff like that can actually uh, subtly change things. So we did a game called Smoking Glass, which is Dickensian steampunk heist game, right? And so it's about fun jumping around on roofs and like, you know, stealing stuff, parkour, yay. Uh, but all of the people who are in charge and, and pretty much the predominant people of the society are people of color. So all the art represents people of color of different kinds. And people are like, there aren't any white folks in this art. And I'm like, yep. Uh, Weird. Cool, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, glad you noticed. Um, and women are in charge of tons of things. That's not like, a, we don't make a big deal of it. We just say, this is it, play the game. Um, but you're immediately changing certain political dynamics with small choices that you then are like, no, this is the status quo. 
accept that status quo and reflect on it, but we're still you know, going to be doing parkour. So um, if anybody doesn't have any questions, we're, I think we're out of time, but I want to give everybody a chance here to plug uh, stuff that they're working on and uh, any place that they can find you online if you want to. So, Neil. Uh, sure. I'm working on science like an addition for Onyx Path. I'm working on most of the stuff that Onyx Path is doing, especially Deviant the Renegades, which is about uh, playing the victims of uh, social experiments and physiological experiments that have been forced upon you. Uh, you can find me at Burnt Neil on Twitter uh, and on the Onyx Path forums. Um, I just may want to make friends. Mm -hmm. so, I, since I just moved here, uh, I would uh, want to learn, learn to learn uh, to get to know more uh, Nordic or uh, um, theater style uh, LARP people. Uh, uh, so come and talk to me and find me on Facebook. My name is Susan Vedemo, and we'll make beautiful art together. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joshua A C Newman, uh, and you can find me on Patreon uh, slash Joshua. Um, and uh, if you like science fiction, then I'm working hard on Shock uh, 2, and uh, the Bloody Handed Name of Bronze is for sale down in the Indie Bazaar, down uh, where all the snacks are on the other side of role-playing, and this will answer your question about how to make it a game about a bunch of adventurers doing cool shit and, and uh, doing incredible heroic feats and talking to the sky, and yet it's still, all that stuff actually still matters. Uh, and my name is Shoshana Kessak. Uh, if you could spell my name, you could find me online uh, on Twitter and uh, my website, shoshanakessak.com. I'm working on a game called Immortal Flight, which is about Nephilim trying to survive in a world that are trying to kill them, half angels. It's really fun. I also do LARP design. Uh, we run lots of different stuff, including a game called Bright Story, which is all about self-care in Saturday morning cartoons with my partner, Josh Harrison. He's the creator. It's really amazing. You should check it out. Uh, and come and find me if you want to talk about any more of this stuff. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank, Thank our panelists. They were really fantastic. So, thanks, guys. Have a good one. I'm going to go hang out out here for just a minute if anybody wants to keep this discussion up. I have to close this. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I make three very... <laughs> I love doing this one. I make two very political games, LARPs, next year, but they're both in Sweden, so I was like, I'm not going to mention those. Yeah.